interest rates have been significantly increasing over the last six months. I'm Sharla Jessup, president of Smedley Financial Services, and today my guest and colleague, Michael Ani, will tell us how savers are finally being rewarded. Welcome to the SFS Power Up Wealth Podcast, where we provide impactful insight and expert opinions on timeless financial principles and timely investment topics, preparing you to make smarter decisions with your money. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here, Sharla. Michael is one of our wealth management consultants and actually vice president of our wealth management team, and he holds a certified financial planning designation and an MBA. Michael, what is happening with interest rates and why are savers finally being rewarded? Well, it's with the Fed raising interest rates to combat inflation. So inflation has spiked up crazy this last year. It went up to 9% at one point. It's come back down to where it's around 6%. And to combat that and bring it back down, the Fed has been raising interest rates. Well, for the last uh, over a decade, since 2008, really, borrowers have really been rewarded. During that time, if you got a mortgage, you can get it at 3%. Some of them were under 3%, which is not historical norms. You probably remember what you had when I first started looking at mortgages way back in the early 2000s. There was seven and three quarters and it dropped to seven and a quarter. And we're like, bye, 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 because it's, it's not going to go lower. And then it kept going lower and lower and lower. Right. And so the Fed was lowering interest rates in order to stimulate the economy and help it to grow, especially from 2008 on. But since that time, you know, this last year, we've seen inflation spike up. And so now they're raising rates and the script is really being flipped. Why haven't the banks been paying much interest? They haven't been able to earn it on the other side, right? As interest rates have been really low for them, they haven't been able to pay it out to other customers. So savings accounts have been 0.01%, which is piddly. It's nothing as you've had, if you've had money in the bank, you see the dividend payments that are like, oh, I made a dollar this month, you know? And so they've been really low because the banks haven't been able to make money on the other side. Well, now that interest rates are going up, they're able to make more money. And so they're able to pass that on. Which is great benefit because if most people are like me and probably you, and we look at that bank statement when we get it, the amount we have in savings, maybe for short-term emergencies, and it earns, you know, barely even worth mentioning. Exactly. Sense. Exactly. Just, <laughs> Just sense. sense. It hasn't paid hardly anything to keep money in the bank. We've still told people, hey, you need to have some emergency fund, money in the bank you can tap into when you need it. Right. Uh, One of my favorite sayings, though, is that those who understand interest earn it, those who don't pay it. And so that's what over the last decade, it really hasn't mattered. You know, if I'm paying a mortgage at three percent, that's not too hard. If I get a car loan, it was somewhere between zero and three percent. So it really wasn't hard to get a loan. I wasn't really being punished for getting a loan. And that's the the script that's being flipped now is that mortgages are now over six and a half, closer to seven percent. Which, again, that's historically, that's pretty average. But when they used to be 3% and when housing prices have gone up 45%, then you really feel the pinch if you're trying to buy a house right now. 
Same thing with the car, because I've seen car loans that are at the dealerships. They're they're charging 11 percent. You can find cheaper ones at, uh, you know, credit unions or banks that are around 7 percent for a car loan. But still, that's a lot more than they used to be. And it does take a big bite out of somebody's cash flow when they're trying to buy a home and the price is higher and the interest rates are higher. They can buy a lot less. You know, they're not getting the same thing. Exactly. I have a lot of the older clients that are like, why do the young kids need to make so much these days? You know, they're making a lot more than I ever did. And I'm like, well, how much did you buy your house for? (laughs) And then they're like, okay, I bought it for $50,000. And you're like, okay, now try buying a $500,000 home and paying 7% interest. And your payment's over three grand. So they have to be making more money just to afford to live. Tell us about the different types of accounts that someone might consider yeah, if they're so, a saver. So this is where savers are really finally being rewarded because, like we said, the interest rates have been so low that you're earning cents on the dollar, you know, just hardly anything. Well, now savings accounts aren't paying hardly anything. Money markets are paying a lot better. Uh, we've seen a lot of those, at least in, you know, one and a half to uh, online money markets are paying like 3%. Uh, you have CDs that are paying anywhere from 3 4 or 5% for CDs that are short term, talking, you know, six months or a year. And so those are really benefiting people now. Uh, just kind of an explanation so people know the difference. You know, people are like, well, a money market, what is that versus a savings account? Well, for all intents and purposes, a money market is just a savings account on steroids. About the only difference is that a savings account, you can have six transactions per month, where a money market, you can, you can only have three transactions per month. So you can't access it as frequently, but that's liquid. You can tap into it anytime you want. We like to use that for part of your emergency fund. And if you you can get um, a money market that's paying 3%, like that's great to earn that much money on money that you're just going to have sitting around in case you need it for an emergency. And the interest rate's going to fluctuate on that. So the thing about you're not locking in an interest rate with no. a money market or savings account is whatever the going rate is. Exactly. So you might be earning 3% this month, but next month the interest rates might be completely different. It could be more and it could be less. And it just depends on where interest rates go. And you have to understand that different different institutions pay different amounts. Like as a general rule, credit unions and online banks are paying more interest to, to individuals. A direct bank that's brick and mortar, they're usually not paying that much interest. And so I've helped people as they're, they're looking at their accounts and we look up their bank and we're like, gosh, your bank really isn't paying hardly anything. Uh, you can still keep some money there, but you might want to consider another institution that might help you save a little better. And that's where, you know, a credit union or online bank is a good place to go for like a, a money market, especially. You talked about how the money market is not locked up where you have CDs that are locked up. It's a certificate of deposit, and that is for a specified time, like six months or a year or three years or five years. Uh, The sweet spot for those right now is around 12 months. I've seen 12-month CDs that are paying over 5%, and we haven't seen those kind of rates since before 2008. So it's nice to get those rates and get a little bit of interest and be rewarded for saving. Things to keep in mind, and this varies per institution, so you just need to verify it with your institution. Usually if it's a 12-month CD or less that you lock up your time or lock, lock up the money for that time frame, you only lose like either 60 days or 90 days of interest. So if I had said, I need to keep some money in a savings account, a a little bit there, more money market, uh, that's liquid, but I want to get some interest for the money that I have in the bank. I'm okay taking some of my emergency fund and putting it in a 12-month CD if I'm only going to lose 60 days of interest. 
If I left it in there for 10, 10 months and then I have to break the CD early for some emergency, well, I lost two months of interest, but I still got eight months at a 5% rate. You know, that's that, pretty good. Yeah, that's great. Like we just haven't seen that forever. Also laddering CDs. Talk about laddering CDs because that's another way to have money that's always available or coming due where you don't have to worry about for your short-term emergency funds. Yeah, laddering just means you're using different timeframes. So a lot of people will say, I'm going to get a three-month, a six-month, a nine-month, and a one-year. So every three months, I know that some money is coming due. And so, again, with your institution, just see what the rates are and see if it makes a lot of sense to ladder it. Uh, I've seen some places where you get a four-month CD that's like 3.5%. And so that's great. It's like, I'm fine sticking some money there. I've seen other institutions where their three-month CD is still paying 1%. And if that's the case, I'd rather just use a 12 month that I may lose some interest if I break it early, but I'm earning a much higher rate. So, you know, we're talking about these interest rates. It looks pretty appealing. People might want to lock up a lot of money. How much money should you keep in a bank? Anything that you may use in the next year. Right. And, and especially if you need to say, I'm, I have big plans. We need to redo the roof or a furnace, things like that. You know, big purchases that you have to do. I always keep that money in the bank if it's going to happen in the next six months to a year. Just because if I invested in the stock market in six months, is it going to be higher? That's a flip of a coin. I don't know. It probably is, but there's no guarantees. In five years, if I invested in the stock market, is it probably going to be higher? Yeah. Okay. Again, there's no guarantees on either way, but yes, you're the longer the time horizon, the more opportunity you have to make money in the market. The shorter the time frame, I need to keep that money protected. Make sure it's there when I need it. So as as a rule of thumb, we tell people to say, first, we need to create an emergency fund. Okay. The emergency fund is going to be there for things that you may need in the next three to six months. And we usually tell people to keep keep three to six months of living expenses. So if your living expenses are $5,000 a month, well, that's $15,000 to $30,000 that I should have in the bank that I have access to in case there is an emergency or I lose my job or things like that. The, the less stable your job is, the more that you need in the emergency fund. Okay? And an emergency fund isn't like the Christmas fund, right? No. <laughs> Sometimes no. when Christmas comes around, it feels like an emergency for some it people. It feels like an emergency, but it shouldn't that's be. That's a separate, that's a spending account. Yeah. The, the emergency fund, I like to keep it as a totally separate account so that I know that's there. And I usually have like either a money market or a CD that a, this is my emergency fund and I can tap into it if I need to. Okay. We still like to have money in checking account. That's going to be your normal expenses that recur every single month. Then you have your emergency fund set aside. You have savings set aside for anything big you have coming up. Maybe it's a trip and you need to set aside $5,000 for that. I still keep that like in a money market or CD depending on when I need it. But once you have that built up, you that's your security. Once you have that security, then you can turn and say, okay, well, how long before I need this money? And if you're looking several years before you need the money, then that's a great opportunity to invest. I know some people right now are a little scared, like, oh, no, you know, what might happen? Is the market going to go down or is it going to go up? We don't know. And so I just don't want to invest. I'll just stick it in a CD. And that could be a good place to to stick it, especially if your money is going to be conservative anyway. But if it's long term money that you have five years on, it's a great time to say, you know what? The market's down. It's always said that the stock market is the only thing when it's on sale that people run away from it. Everything else, you're like, okay, that car's on sale. It's still a good car. I'm going to buy it. Stock market is the same thing. It's it's good. And if you buy it in five years, it's going to be looking a lot better than it is right now. 
it's interesting how our emotions play into it and how we think, you know, we'll drive across town to f- save a dollar on a dress or $10 on a dress. and Or five cents on gas. Exactly. And then we talk about the stock market and it's a totally different perspective for some people. The emotional side is so different, but people need to think about it just like everything else. A good deal is when the market's on sale. Yes. And a lot of times it's hard to take out the emotions because we're hardwired to avoid risk. And that just feels like a risk. But when you look at it over time, it's not so risky. I think sometimes people believe that investing in the market is risky and that there's a chance they're going to lose all of their money. Mm-hmm. And that's the emotional side that they they come to us with where sometimes, I mean, it's not diversification. There's a lot of ways to protect. There's a lot of ways to protect. Of and a lot of the management that we do will help protect. And, and you know, I try to keep things in perspective, too, because I have some people that are like, well, I'm going to invest in real estate because real estate never goes down. You're like... Yeah, no, I, I, in 2008, the stock market was really rough and it lost 57% and that hurt, but you still had 43% and it came back and it, it grew, you know, the stock market came back by 2013. I had a number of people that had real estate investments that lost 100% of that real estate investment during 2008. So everything has risk. You just have to understand the risk as you step into it. Make sure it's appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, Exactly. Well, and that's another point with risk. You know, I've had a lot of people recently say, okay, what about the banks? Do we need to worry about the banks because of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and a couple others? One, you have to understand what's happening with with Silicon Valley Bank. And the the first thing was they made a fundamental error because they took short-term deposits and they bought long-term bonds. So then if people request their money back out, that long-term bond, because interest rates went up, it's now worth 10% less or maybe 20% less at the time. It just depends. And they're like, I can't sell this long-term bond to cover that short-term loan. So that was their first error. Uh, And then the second problem was it just became a real run on the bank where social media expedited it and people were able to hear about it and just transfer things out electronically. But it is just a good old-fashioned bank run because they pulled out $40 billion within four hours and I heard one Fed regulator, former Fed regulator, say that no bank can withstand that. No bank has that much cash on hand. And so if that happens, then, yeah, the bank's going to fold. They have to sell assets. They have no choice but to sell assets when something like that happens at a loss. Yeah, at a loss. The other problem with the SVB, 95% of their accounts were not covered by FDIC insurance. Why is that? So FDIC insurance was instituted after the Great Depression. And it was to protect the banks because there were so many banks that went under during the Great Depression. And they said, okay, we're going to guarantee deposits. Now that current rate is up to $250,000. So if you have $250,000 or less in an institution per registration type, that's like, if I have an account, you have an account, we each have $250,000, right? So as a married couple, like you could set it up so that you each have accounts in your name and you're covered to 500,000, for example. If you're below that limit, Even if the bank goes under, FDIC steps in and they make you whole. Well, in SVB's case, 95% of their deposits were above that limit. And so they were not covered. The government still stepped in and said, all right, we're using FDIC to cover and make those depositors whole, which is a discussion for another day of whether they should have done that or not. But in doing that, they prevented people from creating other bank runs. If they didn't bail out SVB, then we might have had dozens of banks that failed instead of two or three. And I think it's important to know they didn't bail out the bank. They bailed out the depositors. Yes. So the bank itself and the investors in the bank, they were still at risk. Yes, exactly. 
So yes, the bank still folded, but the depositors were made whole and that prevented other bank runs. Okay. So you have to then look at your own bank that you have. So we have a couple of local banks. I would say in some ways it's good that SVB got uh, bailed out because we have a number of our local tech companies too, that they would have been, wouldn't have been able to make payroll. And so even the state of Utah was involved in like, okay, how do we help these people out in this crisis as SVB is going under? Uh, so it, it was a big deal and it was a good thing that they bailed them out. And as a question of, okay, should they have, and how much should they have bailed out SVB? But you look at your local institution say, okay, what's the risk for this institution that they may go under? Okay. And so a lot of the credit unions, 90, 95% of their deposits are under the $250,000 limit. Credit unions are covered by NCUA, which is just the same thing as the FDIC for banks. Okay. You have the Federal Depository Insurance Commission and the uh, National Credit Union Administration. But the same thing, they cover you up to $250,000 per registration type. So at the credit union, if you have less than that, you're still covered. At the bank, if you have less than that, you're still covered. And so most of the banks and credit unions, because you're covered, you don't need to have a bank run. People aren't afraid that they're going to lose their money because they're already covered. They feel pretty confident that their bank is secure. Yes. You know, the interest rates are enticing right now. It's looking good. It's hard to turn your head on those high rates. It's We're glad to see them. Like we haven't seen these rates since 2008. So it's like finally savers are getting rewarded. And if you're a borrower, you just have to be wise and not just go into crazy debt. How long do you think we'll see these rates? That's hard to say. Are are they going to stick at this rate? You know, we've already seen some rates that popped up high and they've come down a little bit already. And so maybe we've already seen the peak. If the Fed keeps raising rates, maybe they keep going up. But it is still an open market. It's not like the Fed raises rates and these go up automatically uh, because there's still competition out there. And so they may go up and they may go down. And the the Fed, their intent is to raise interest rates to kill inflation so that inflation comes down. And if inflation comes down, then they can lower rates again. Their intent is to make sure that the rates come down. And so it's possible that in a year from now, if you get a one-year CD, you won't be able to renew for the same rate that you're in right now. I think a telling sign is that if you look at anything beyond 24 months, you'll notice that the interest rate you can receive on a CD for a longer period of time drops significantly for every period of time. And I'm sure that is tied to the fact that the banks don't believe that they can maintain that high level of interest or guarantee it for a longer period of time. Exactly. They don't want to promise to pay a 5% interest rate for five years because they think rates are going to come down. And so they're only going to pay a 3 or 4% interest for five years. So yes, there's in some ways it's like, hmm, do I want to lock my money up for longer and, and get a 4.5% rate for two years just so I can get a guarantee longer because rates may come down? That's one tactic and it may work good. Nobody knows exactly where rates are going to be in a year from now. That's that's really hard to tell. Oh, well, Michael, I think we've covered a topic that's really on everyone's mind right now as we're seeing interest rates change. Thank you so much for enlightening us. No, I'm glad to, to be here and thank you, Sharla. Thank you for joining the Power Up Wealth podcast. Spend the financials located at 102 South. 200 East Suite 100 in Salt Lake City, Utah, 84111. Call us today at 800-748-4788. You can also find us on the web at smedleyfinancial.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. 
views expressed are Smedley Financials and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPSI, Roger M. Smedley, Charlotte J. Jessup, James R. Derrick, Shane P. Thomas, Michael B. Ani, Jordan R. Hadfield, Registered Representatives. Investment Advisor Representatives of Smedley Financial Services, Inc. Advisory Services offered through Smedley Financial Services, Inc. Smedley Financial Services, Inc. and Securities America are separate entities. Mm-hmm.